and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And this week, as part of our three-part tech series, we're going to dive into websites. Such an important topic. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to dig in a little bit more because I truly believe a website is a really essential communication tool for nonprofits, which is funny because I remember five or six years ago, people saying, oh, websites are dead. Everyone needs an app. Um, But it's interesting how often I still look for organizational websites. I know donors look for organizational websites and people who want to use your services and join your mission look for your website. So having a good, clear, easy place for people to find information It's really important. I agree. It's the front door into your organization, right? If I want to know more about an organization, it is the room I first step into to understand what you're doing. You know, I've met with a lot of organizations that have thought having a Facebook page is enough. Well, our organization has a Facebook page, so we don't need a website. Unfortunately, a Facebook page just doesn't get you there because the information stacks. You really do need a website, even the simplest of websites, Like just to find your phone number (laughs) or your email or your address. I mean, I'm amazed at how often I just look for the most basic information. And sometimes those social media platforms bury that. They absolutely do. So to help us have this conversation, we're really fortunate today. We have our friend and colleague, Margaret Mepp Schulte, to help guide this conversation. Mepps is the founder of Three Choices Creative. She's been a great partner of mine on, on all sorts of things, graphic design and communications related. Meps, welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit about my viewpoint on websites is that I don't think a website is an end in itself. I think it's always a means to an end. And in my work, I create websites as part of a larger communication strategy. So there are folks out there that just create websites and that's all they do. I do lots more than that. But I think When I look at what you're trying to say, who you're trying to reach, a website is one of those big, big, big tools. I know Sarah is smiling right now because you said a magic word for us at the Nonprofit Radio Show. What's the magic word, Sarah? Oh, strategy. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You can't have a website without strategy. I love it. So Mabs, what do we need to know? There's four things that you need to know about creating and maintaining a website. And I'm going to take them one by one. The first one is you need to know your audience before you start creating content. It's so easy to go, well, we know what we want to say. And so we start writing our content. We start coming up with pictures and videos. But the truth is you need to to look out there at who's using your site, who's coming to your site and why, and what are they looking for? For example, if like, like you were saying, if they're looking for your phone number, they're looking for your address and you're going, oh no, no, we want to tell them all about our programs. It's like, well, no, your phone number and your address might need to be at the top because that's what your audience is looking for. And so if you can do even sort of informal sit behind somebody as you know if I'm assuming most folks already have a website maybe they need to redo it is sit behind somebody and watch them watch over their shoulder as they click through your site or a similar site to what you're thinking to create watch the path they take and take notes and go oh that's what they're looking for first and were they able to find the information that they're looking for so it's what is it that you're offering but what is it that they're looking for that's really really important and then 
another thing that's really important in about knowing your audience is if you have a website, you get something we call metrics and metrics are really, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of, sometimes we build a website and then we walk away. We just go, oh, it's out there. And you never come back and go, how many people are using it? And where are they coming from? And what are they looking at? And there's all kinds of really simple tools that'll tell you who's coming to your website. How are they finding it? You know, are they are they clicking on an email and then getting to your website? So those are the first, some of the first things is the metrics and, and knowing them not knowing you, knowing them. That's so interesting. That's, this is exactly the kind of thing that Nancy and I talk about when we talk about writing an annual appeal letter or inviting someone to an event. Um, it's, it's the forethought about not what I want to say, but what is it people are seeking to hear or learn and who are they and how are they best accessing it? And how then do we adapt and change afterwards? It's all the same principles just put into a digital form. Right, right. They, I mean, they have questions that they are looking to answer and it's up to you to figure out what their questions are. Um, so when, um, you know, you can, one of the things I do when I start working on a project is I write a profile of who are these people? Like you can kind of write almost like a story about here's Sam and he's looking for information about trail building and he wants to find a group to volunteer with. And what is Sam looking for on a website that he wants to, of a, of a nonprofit he wants to get involved in? And so you kind of write a little profile of Sam and then you write a little so profile of Frida and she wants something else. She wants to donate or she wants to, you know, she's thinking about donating in her will maybe and she wants to know how to be a benefactor. So you write little stories of these people and it makes your website something that human people are going to look at and appreciate and enjoy. That's the other thing. You want them to enjoy it. That's so awesome. So so what's our second point that we need to remember? Well, I, once you build the site, it has to be fresh. It has to be fast. So you need to add content to it. Right? You need somebody in your organization that's going to look at that website, whether they look at it every couple of days, depending on how, you know, how big it is. You need somebody to kind of keep an eye on it because a lot of times we launch them and then we walk away. And you also are going to have to refresh the layout every few years. So you can't say, oh yeah, we have a 10-year-old website. That's fine. That is not fine anymore. You have to make sure that if you're going to put photos on your website, size them appropriately. I see a lot of websites where they paint really slowly because the images are too big or they look really dorky because the images are too small. So that's one of those. Once you've figured out what your messaging is, the way you deliver it, it has to be fresh and it has to be fast. And it, if you're going to have videos, you're not going to put them on your website. You're going to put them somewhere like YouTube or Vimeo and then link to them because they can make sure that those videos are fast. I think this is another great time to mention that word strategy because I've worked with organizations where different staff members or volunteers have different responsibility for different pages of a website. And what results then is very different voices, very different approaches, very different styles, and it doesn't present a cohesive organization. So really having, you know, you, we talked earlier about that a website fits into a larger communication strategy, making sure that there's a plan for creating one voice, one look, one feel, bringing it all together, which 
is an interesting way to, how do you do that when you're a tiny organization working with volunteers? I don't know, Sarah, what do you think about how would you manage that if you had a bunch of volunteers who were working on a website? I think Meps's suggestion of, of having one person who is like a sort of a willing to look at it frequently They don't necessarily have to be the only person, you know, with the keys to go in and do something, but one person needs to be overlooking it and catching that tone, catching that we aren't repeating ourselves or cross-purposing ourselves in our messaging. There does need to be one person who says, yep, I'm going to check this every Thursday. Um, I'm a big fan of scheduling routine things as if they were meetings, right? So every Thursday, I'm just going to check on the website between two and three, block it out of my calendar and make sure the links work and, you know, every things still fresh. And if, if we have a team of people working on it, which, which can be a great thing, I'm, I'm sort of helping massage the tone so that it, it feels like it's one voice from the organization. The other thing is sometimes websites will get, you know, there'll be an error, something won't load or there'll be a spelling error. And I always feel like there should be like a little deal. Like if a staff member spots an, an error on the website, they should get a reward. You know, like here's a, you know, a free coffee down at the fancy coffee shop because you found an error and it got repaired as opposed to going, yeah, nobody, nobody's going to see that. Don't worry about that. But, you know, you're presenting yourself as a, as an organization that people want to know that you're responsible. And if they see errors on your website, they might be a little bit worried about you and go, oh, they might not do things right. So Mm -hmm. reward people for finding and fixing any errors. I love that. So what's the third thing we need to know? The other thing, this is one of the reasons why I think people don't look at their websites is because they're a little bit scared. You have to keep your website safe. And, you know, there are, tools out there, especially if you use something like WordPress or if you're hosting your own website on a server somewhere, that people are attacking your website every day, constantly. They're figuring out who's blogging on your website. They're using those people's names to try to log in. So make sure your passwords are absolutely unguessable and change them regularly. That's really important to keep it secure. And then the other thing I just go over and over again, people know that we should back up our computers. We don't stop to think how critical it is to back up your website. Absolutely. Back it up as often as you can afford to and know how to access those backups. Because then if it does get attacked, if it does get compromised by somebody injecting bad code into it, you can go back and say, oh, this happened. You know, we checked it on Thursday and something was bad. And so now we can go back to the version, you know, like three Thursdays ago. And we can replace our code, change all of our passwords, and we're back up and running. So, that's so this safety issue is really about cybersecurity. That, that is something that I know is like one more thing that nonprofits have to think about, which is sad, but reality. And it's particularly important if you have data about the vulnerable people you might be serving or financial data, people are entering their credit card numbers into your website to buy something or to donate. I think I'm really glad you're raising this point about cybersecurity because we don't want anyone to cause damage because of something as silly as not keeping their website safe. Yeah. I mean, some people don't even know, you know, when you go to a website and you look for, there's like a little green padlock that shows up that says, this is a, the site is securing the data that's going back and forth. And so somebody who is, you know, in a third location, isn't going to be able to grab that data and and use it to break into our site or steal somebody's information. And so the, the thing it's called SSL, And it's when you have an HTTPS 
in front of the website instead of an HTTP. And some, uh, you know, like older websites still have that HTTP, but Google goes, well, those aren't quite so secure. So if you have an older website and you haven't switched over, there's a possibility that you're not going to come up in people's search results, which is also important. So at this moment, I can already sense some of our reader or listeners <laughs> getting a little anxious. <laughs> like, wait a minute, we've now jumped into territory. Like I'm an expert at newsletter writing or running great programs. Now I have to be an expert on cybersecurity. And I just want to inject that my guess is your mission has someone in it who actually does understand this world. And this could be a great way to introduce a volunteer to your website project. So maybe you don't want 50 volunteers inputting blog posts or sharing photos on your website because that gets to be a lot to manage. But finding that one or two volunteers who really understand this security aspect of it and those kind of behind the scenes, really important pieces, that's a brilliant place to put in a high level expert volunteer. Great idea. So Maps, what's the fourth thing we need to know about? Well, the fourth thing, actually, it relates a little bit to what Sarah was just talking about, which is budgeting for that website. You know, there've been for years, it, it was like, we saw all these advertisements going, oh, look, you can get a free website. And the truth is that you get what you pay for. A, a free website is not free. My example is uh, when we had some of the first advertising supported websites out there. And a friend of mine said, oh, that'll do for me. And she was advertising advertising something that was a little sensitive and started getting ads for raw meat products on her website. And it was just, you know, you just have no idea. So you a free website is, it's not really a good idea. So there's a question of if you're going to go with, you know, we're all kind of WordPress people. We know that WordPress has been around for over 20 years and there's a lot of different flavors of it that can serve your organization. But there's also Wix and Squarespace and these, uh, like the hosting companies, GoDaddy and Bluehost. They all have different systems and they all cost a certain amount per month. And you just need to budget for that. And almost more importantly, budget for a person to help guide you. I think that's a great suggestion to really understand the full cost of having a website and not just the off the rack cost. That really is whether you're- And that's, and you know, I think we're, we're, I myself am a horrible uh, rememberer of uh, to include those costs when I write a grant application. You know, we'll write a grant application for an awesome educational program. And I will talk about, you know, what we're going to do out in the field with kids to inspire them. And then I forget to say that an important component of this, for example, is that we'll get the word out about it through our website. And so there is some promotional cost that we can put into our budget for a grant. So you may not write a grant specifically for your whole website, but I bet just about every program you're running has some component where your website is an important either volumizer of what you're doing or a way people register or a way people find you or whatever. And, and, you know, we should all remember to, to keep spreading that cost out as we try to find the budgets for our programs. I agree. I mean, the website, as we're talking about it, is a key tool to building your movement. It's a key element to expanding the community around what you're doing. So Considering it part of your core operating expenses absolutely makes sense. And, you know, we go back to that question of social media. I mean, social media can be used very effectively to drive people to your website. You have to remember that the stuff that's on your website 
is content you own. And if you put your content out on social media, there's some question about how easy is it for you to get that content when you need it later? Is it still there in a format where you need it? But on your website, you own that content and that's part of your assets is your content. Absolutely. I've done enough legal compliance training to just also put that little asterisk in there. Make sure you own the content that you're putting out on your website. <laughs> that it's, so, it's so easy to just search Google, find that great picture of natural program and just slap it up. Oh, whoops. It belongs to Metal Conservancy. Uh-oh. Making sure that you own what you put up. Awesome. Well, so there's four things you need to know about websites. Know your audience. Keep it fresh and fast, keep it safe and budget for it. What's a good word of the week, Sarah? Well, I think it has to be web, right? I mean, we're talking about a website, but I'm also thinking about the website being a part of this larger communication strategy, which when I think about it, I do picture a web you know, one thing feeds another that feeds another. There's maybe not a central hub. It's just all important. And so you're constantly thinking about, well, what did I send out in my printed material? And how does that match what's on a social media site? And how does that match what's on my website? And am I, am I telling a cohesive story about our mission so people can respond and say, hey, yes, I want to join your movement. Maps, what comes to mind for you? I think about fighter webs that are sticky. And I, I want your website to be so interesting that people come to it and they go, oh, that's so cool. And I'm going to come, I'm going to bookmark it and I'm going to come back because it has the best pictures, the best blog, the best knowledge for me. So it's a site that shows off your web. That is so cool. It's demonstrating those connections that you've built. Well, we know that you can reach out to MEPS anytime at Three Choices Creative. We are so grateful for her support for this podcast. She is the person who produces and edits it. And we are so grateful for your support. Thank you for that, MEPS. Thank you, MEPS. Thank you Yay. for having me. It's wonderful to actually be on the show. It's great. And so folks, your mission is so important that you're building a movement, you're building a community, you're bringing people together around your mission. And your website is an important piece of your communication strategy to get the word out. We know you got this and we can't wait to check out your websites as you create them. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. <laughs>